Welcome to Develop Lex, a middle tech production hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, Ross Boggess, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could, and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories, both good and bad, along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected, and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers, as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Bank of the Bluegrass. It's easy to preach about being a community bank without actually operating that way, but I can attest as a real customer of Bank of the Bluegrass that they are truly in the community and for the community. Whether it's closing a real estate transaction that needs some creativity, troubleshooting an issue where you need a real person on the other end of the phone, or just the simple fact that when you walk in the door, your banker knows your name, Bank of the Bluegrass has you covered. Plain and simple, the best bank in town. Bank of the Bluegrass, member FDSE. NMLS 421548 equal housing lender. DevelopLex is sponsored by SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate, a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff and 200-plus offices across the globe. The SVN Stone team consists of experienced commercial real estate advisors in the heart of the bluegrass. SVN provides commercial real estate services to large corporations, middle market businesses, and individual entrepreneurial investors. Serving the greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With transaction volume of over $400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. Craftsman Contractors is Central Kentucky's one-stop shop for roofing, windows, siding, and gutters. Craftsmancontractors.com slash contact us will get you straight to the form you need so that their team will get in touch about your project. Or just text Stephen at 859-246-0108. When they finish your project of windows, siding, gutters, or roofing, you'll see what they mean when they say we build with integrity. Welcome back to Develop Lex. Uh, today, you have Weston and Ross in the studio. We are down at Awesome Inc. on Main Street, and we are very excited to welcome on Joe Rosenberg. Um, I've known Joe since um, I have been in the industry. Back when I was interning at SVN, um, I used to walk checks down uh, to get Joe to sign uh, for one of the partnerships that he was involved in uh, back in the day. So I've known Joe for a little while, but um, we thought it'd be really neat to get into kind of his background and all the things that he's been a part of in Lexington as he has been a staple, um, in the city for a very long time. So Joe, welcome on. Well, thank you all. This is uh, very kind of you to invite me to spend the morning with you. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into just a little bit of, um, you know, upbringing and how you got to where you're at today. So Joe, where are you from? Well, uh, born and raised in Lexington. I'm, uh, Takes Creek, and then later, the last two years of Henry Clay. So I graduated Henry Clay and um, took off to um, Atlanta uh, to Emory University, and um, and kind of came back here just as uh, things were um, were heating up in '78 and and going into fun times. So 
So what brought you down to Emory and then what brought you back? Um, well, Davidson wouldn't accept me. And um, so <laughs> Emory was my next best choice <laughs> available at the time. And, um, and I, um, I was, um, I was fortunate enough to, um, just enjoy life in Atlanta, but I also wanted to get back to Lexington where, which just seemed like a, a nice place to uh, start a family and, and raise a family and, and enjoy some of the things that I had grown up with. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So this usually comes out somehow, but what high school did you go to? Since that everybody, every Lexingtonian has to talk about what high school they went yeah, to. Yeah, I, um, I, was, I was the second graduating class out of the new Henry Clay. Ah, so, um, so my junior and senior year, I graduated Henry Clay. Nice. All right. So came back to Lexington um, from Atlanta. What did you do when you got back to Lexington and kind of take us to where you got to in most of your professional life? Sure. Um, my wife, Ricky, and I, who um, um, got married in 78, we, uh, we moved to Frankfurt. That was where she was able to get a teaching job. And they, at that time, required you to live in Franklin County to teach in Frankfurt. Um, I went to work immediately, or right as soon as we got married, with uh, Linwood and Shirley Wiseman, who were um, uh, actively developing uh, East Hills and um, and just some of the the subdivisions around the then Ice Center, and um, started learning a little bit about um, uh, stick construction and um, and the finances of trying to put together duplexes and single family homes and and get them sold. So it was. Uh, Everything was going pretty well until uh, interest rates got up to about 21%, and I'm sitting there looking at uh, at a friendly banker who explained to me that uh, he wasn't going to lend me the rest of the money that I had already uh, started drawing against um, on a duplex. And uh, and he said, you know, Joe, you're going to be out of business here pretty quickly. And and I just, uh, that was not a fun time for me. I was fortunate enough that I'd grown up in a family business and um I went down to talk to my folks and said, I'm going to have some available time if you all need anyone. And, um, and so I got involved in our retail business then, and, um, and it, helped, uh, it helped that I had kind of been exposed to it. My, uh, my parents had always uh, had some real estate interest as a side hustle to the retail business. Um, I had some uncles who had been involved in uh, real estate, and, um, and I was, I guess, lucky that... Um, I could make a living in the retail side and still invest or or um, um, show my interest in real estate without having to live out of it and you know do it more as a side hustle. So I got my real estate license. Um, then I went back and got my broker's license. Um, I learned some quick lessons about uh, you know, trust and partnerships and and um, you know just. Uh, what what I what my strengths were, what my weaknesses might be, and and how to um, uh, take those and and work around them or work to them and and use them to my advantage and and um, fast forward, I'm 69 years old and I've enjoyed a, a great time and and this has been fun. I, I really don't have any complaints, <laughs> so it's been good. Yeah, so talk about that a little bit. So the so the retail store um, that I'm familiar with is. Rosenberg Jewelers downtown on Main Street. Has that always been the case? No. Joe Rosenberg Jewelers um, was, it started actually at 141 West Vine Street. And then um, by, by my grandfather in 1896. 
and then in um, and then in 1929, he um, he moved around to the corner of where most of us will remember um, Upper and Vine, and um, signed a 50-year lease in 1929, going into the Great Depression. And um, he had 10 kids. My father was the baby of 10, and my grandfather passed away before I was born. I'm named after him. And uh, by the time I came into the business in 1979, 80, that lease was just burning off. And I um, was fortunate enough to, um, I guess, see a little bit of what might be happening with downtown. And they had two pieces of property that they owned on that block at that time, neither of which were the store. They were on either side of the store. They were leasing the store itself. And... I said, you know, look, if we're going to be on this block and we enjoy commercial real estate, why don't we just look and see if some of these other properties, when they become available, not pushing anything, but if they might be available and they make sense, this makes sense to invest in our neighborhood, which I think is probably a good strategy for a lot of people in real estate. It just kind of worked out well for us. Um, Every once in a while, we'd get a call from someone on that block who'd say, hey, I want to sell something. Sometimes it was an attorney representing a state. Um, uh, I was invited to a symposium, I remember, like it was yesterday, with uh, Rose Lucas, who was heading up the downtown Lexington Corporation at the time, and um, Woolworths on that block, probably the largest piece of property on the block, and um, they were ending a long lease, that a building that was built for them. Well, the lease, I think, was signed prior to World War II, but it was built probably just after World War II, and um, it had 54 owners at the time. It had just been little pieces had gone out, this, that, and the other. In fact, I owned, I got a check every month for $13.60, which was very important to me during my college life. It was <laughs> it was a date night. Uh, once a month, I remember that one. But um, we were sitting in the symposium, and, and Rose said, you know, they just have signed up for another 10-year extension. It was our last 10-year extension. And they shut down the the Woolworths, the, the whole um, retail operation, or not the whole retail operation, but in Lexington. And pigeons were flying in the building. Um, we had, all the owners had been asked to put up a new roof, and I believe First Security's trust department was in charge of gathering the money and actually putting the lease, or putting the roof on at that point. They put the roof on, but I don't think anyone ever inspected the roof. It was never tied in on the sides. And water was just dripping in. The doors were locked. There was no Woolworth management on site. They were responsible for the building, but the um, the actual uh, landlords were never allowed in the building. Um, we started figuring out that code enforcement wanted to get in the building and see what was happening, and they did. And then uh, Woolworth started talking to us about, you know, maybe they'd get out of the lease early. Well, what happened was that they had a... Um, they had a clause in that lease that said that it was built on five different parcels owned by five different families, and that at the end of um, their lease, they had to put those parcels back intact and, and demising walls. So that was kind of counterintuitive to them wanting to end the lease, which they weren't paying much rent on, obviously, coming back from World War II. And um, we just looked around the room, and Rose looked at me, and she said, I think you got to take this on. And I said, take what on? She said, you got to buy it up and put it into some effective use. And I said, well, how do you, how do you envision that? What, what, what happens there? And she goes, I don't know, but start to work on it. And well, I did. I had some extra spare time, and uh, I was fortunate enough that uh, I had some family partners who said, 
go see what you can do. And so we, um, we realized that you could not finance these purchases because you weren't going to have the whole, but you had to start dealing with a lot of out-of-state owners and, and um, I had a, a great attorney who advised me on some of the, the techniques that uh, we needed to be aware of. And we went out and just you know, started buying up this percent and that percent and whatever was happening. We worked a deal with staples to go on the ground floor and Kentucky Science and Technology to go on the upper floor. And we were going to put an incubator in there. Uh, Chris Kimmel and his part, then partner, which President uh, Lee Todd from university, um, were heading, or had they had started Kentucky Science and Technology. And it was, it was an exciting idea. We thought, you know, this, this is going to work. And we went down to um, uh, Gray, actually, uh, uh, Gray Construction, and, and worked with them to figure out a plan that uh, we could remediate and, and get this building safe and, and put it back into play, so to speak. When we, um, when we took it to council, because we had to get a couple of things worked out with them, Things were going pretty good, and um, and someone kind of stood up and made a comment that um, they didn't think that it was fair because I or my family was going to be profiting off of this. And um, and I looked at them and I said, guys, look, you know, if you're thinking that I'm doing this as a nonprofit, then I, you know, we're clearly mistaken. I, I clearly am doing this to make some money. So if that's bothering you, then we need to you know know about it right now. And um, and the council and their infinite wisdom um, did not vote to approve it, and the deal died on that spot, and and it couldn't go forward. And Chris was upset, and we couldn't get him in, and Staples uh, didn't decided not to come, and it just it didn't work. Um, the building sat for a little bit longer, and um, and then the rest is history, as probably some of you remember or whatever. We were fortunate enough to um, to find. Um, a good partner with uh, the Webbs, uh, both Don and Dudley and, and Woodford. And um, Don was living at the time. We had a good relationship with them. Uh, we did not have anything formal. Uh, there was no written agreement. We were able to um, to do what we needed to do to kind of advance and, and pursue the rest of the block that we did not own at that time. I think we had um, 80 some odd percent of the block in the family and, um, and there were a couple of holdouts that they kind of stepped up and said we can do this so we just all joined forces and started what is now a city center and and um, pretty proud of it I think it I think it worked out well are you looking to start or scale your real estate portfolio in central Kentucky check out rapid fire investments they find off-market discounted real estate deals just for you so you can save time and maximize profits. From single family homes to multifamily apartments, no matter what your investment goals are, Rapid Fire can help you reach them. Sign up for their email list today and get notified when new properties become available. Just go to rapidfireinvestments.com. That's rapidfireinvestments.com. That's pretty incredible. I, I definitely want to go back and touch on City Center because I think there's a ton of story behind that. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the process and for people that are trying to do similar things of what were you actually, you said 54 individual owners. Yeah. What were you actually doing to make contact, especially back then when it wasn't like you could just Facebook message them. How were you? <laughs> yeah. How were but you? Th those were some fun phone calls. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we would, um, we would send let first we established a price per foot that we were willing we, And that came about early. That actually came about from a cousin of mine who, um, who lived out of state. And he said, Joe, he said, look, I'll sell my piece 
But uh, when I sell my piece, I want an assurance from you that if you pay more per fo- more per foot to any other owner, that you'll have a catch up with me. And I realized that was going to start happening with everyone, and it was the fair thing to do, um, just because I couldn't, you know, get them all in the same room and get everyone to agree to do it. The 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 ownership was a sense of pride to some of these people who had never been to Kentucky. They just had inherited their piece from their piece from whatever it was going to be. Um, I, I didn't know. I, did, I wasn't related. These were just these were strangers that the only commonality we had was that we all had a little piece of this Woolworth property. And, um, and we were very fortunate. Most people kind of understood the program. We'd look them up. We'd um, send an introductory letter. We'd, um, um, we'd try to listen to their story and understand their story. We actually had one that was pretty fascinating or fascinating, interesting to me. Fascinating is the wrong word, I guess. Um, I had a lady that I'm talking to, and I wish I could tell you where she lived right now. I'm thinking it was Colorado. And, um, and she just wanted to tell me how upset she was that she and her sister had both inherited a piece of this from um, their mother or their aunt or I don't know, whatever it was. And they'd never been to Kentucky, but um, she was getting her check, which was more than my $13.60. I forgot what her check was. And, um, and she, um, her check stopped a couple years ago. And she knows that her check was going to her sister and her sister wasn't splitting it out with her. And that she would not agree to sell her piece until she got that money. And I had to go get it from her sister. And, uh, and my attorney, uh, John Bryce, was sitting in the office at the time, and I got her on speakerphone, and he, and he kind of motions for me to put her on hold, and, and he goes, how much money do you think she's talking about? And we're doing the quick math, and we figured this thing up, and I just um, took her off hold, and I said, done, I'll, I'll, I'll get it for you. And uh, I, obviously, at that point, I realized it wasn't much, and I, and I made sure that she got her money. Yeah. And, and then and then she was happy to sell at that point. So it was like, uh, I don't know why things happened like that. I mean, I, it, it was it was crazy that, um, it, you know, the, the, the idea that there were interests that were just being passed along and passed along and that um, it was really causing a, a, a blight on our downtown core uh, with this just sitting empty and pigeons and, and uh, water just running into the building. It just wasn't helpful to any of us. So we needed to get that one moving. And, and for people to that may not know Lexington as well as we did, this is going to be on the main street face of the hundred block now. Yep. And was in between Rite Aid and the Dame? Was that where? Yeah, yeah. So, so it was actually right next to Rite Aid <clears throat> and it faced on three streets. So it had an opening, a small opening onto um, Limestone and then the full backside on Divine Street. And what was interesting about the Vine Street portion, and only like two of the five properties actually had any piece of that. Um, but when Urban Renewal came along, there was an extra 20-foot strip that wound up being deeded to those owners. So uh, it got a little more complicated. I think the, the building partial, all the buildings together are about 18,000 feet. And, um, and so we... Um, it, it, it was a labor of love. It took us a year and a half, maybe a little closer to two years to, to tie it up. And as I started to say earlier, one of the biggest problems that I had personally is that financially it was tough for me. I was not in a position to go out and buy these out of pocket. So I um, wasn't able to put any debt on these purchases because they, the, 
the other 53 owners at the time were not going to be excited about yeah. me indebting their property. So it was it was a little complicated for me at that early stage of my life to to make it happen. But um, it, you know, they, the uh, in hindsight, the numbers were not huge at the time; they were sizable to me, and um, and that one was was complicated, but it it, it worked out. The, the most difficult one that I had, well, probably had a couple of difficult ones, but the most difficult one I had was the former Graves Cox building. Um, that one was, um, was the, um, Mr. Gatton uh, had bought that and he tore down that building without too many people complaining about tearing down that old historic building actually and turning it into a parking lot. And, um, and when he did, you know, I just I thought, well, I don't know what he's doing, but you know, I don't really care. I don't have any particular interest in it. And so I wasn't trying to assemble the block. It wasn't anything that I was doing at that. But later, as it became necessary for us to get it, I was no longer able to do the the deal with uh, Kentucky Science and Technology or Staples. I said, I think we're going to need this parking lot and kind of touch pieces now. Um, I went, reached out to him, and um, and the response that I got was was. Um, awe-inspiring at that point. I was. I learned how to deal with someone who didn't really care whether or not he sold a piece of property. Um, he set a price, and the price was just higher than anything I had seen for that kind of square footage. And um, it, it may have been a record price at that point, I think. I don't know. Um, all I know is that I, I spoke to um, one of his cohorts at the time, and I said, what am I going to do about it? And, uh, and the advice was, you're either going to pay it or you're going to forget about it because <laughs> he, he's not going to take anything any less. And, the, and it was, um, it, it was a, a deep, take a deep breath and, and go find a, a good uh, banker who would loan me money because I was going to buy the whole thing, but I was going to buy it. And I, I stepped up, but it was a tough one for me. I mean, there was no way to make that one make sense other than the whole block development. Yeah. And so right now, really, it sounds like we're kind of getting into what would be called assemblage, which uh, I, I have found really fascinating. I follow a bunch of people that um, work in Manhattan or larger cities where that's really common. Um, so obviously with assemblage, there's a lot of different personalities you have to deal with. Um, but at the end of the day, you're improving you know, your whole block and you as a neighbor realistically are, are inheriting the wealth of the appreciation and all the things of you making the property better. So are there any kind of other assemblage stories like that that you have from downtown Lexington? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I always think about assemblage and that's a great word, um, as a, um, as a positive. It's, you know, some people see it as a negative. They, um, they think that you could be, um, you know, taking advantage of a neighbor because you're going to do something, you know, sometimes the vision, and I don't want to, you know, think of myself as a visionary, but I certainly saw that block as having more potential than what it was when I first arrived on it. Um, you, you need to either have patience, deep pockets, great partners, you know, there, all these things kind of have to come together because it's really difficult to just start grabbing individual pieces and making them make sense or, have the ability to just sit on them when they don't make sense. And so um, I did not have the ability to have empty or, or vacant uh, properties just waiting for me to complete the puzzle. Um, everything that we sought or went after, we were less aggressive in the beginning, as I said, but as once we kind of started saying, let's go get some of these things, 
um, we needed to make sure that, uh, that we could either collect rents off of them that made sense. Um, in, um, in the Graves Cox lot, it was already a parking lot, you know, whether or not it made sense to continue it as a parking lot. There were different things that we just had to figure out. Are these good real estate moves regardless of whether or not they happen to be adjoining property lines? What happens with assemblage in my mind is that you have to keep that in balance because as um, um, a couple other projects that I've been at where been involved with where you need a neighbor's piece of property, they can hold you up pretty easily. And if they, you know, your property becomes more valuable to, um, to somebody who needs it as opposed to somebody who wants it. And, um, and so one of the things that I learned early on is that, you know, I, I'm pretty transparent and and I'm not trying to sneak around and do a lot of things behind anyone's back. So I want to, I want to let people know my intentions as soon as I know my intentions or it's ready to be um, out there. And then I kind of let it, you know, percolate it. If somebody wants something or they don't, I, we made a, a deal with one of our um, uh, last purchases. Um, we made it probably 10 years before we actually got it. Um, the deal was, um, it was the Mad Hatter actually. He, um, he had some difficulty coming up with monies to repair a storm drain in an alley that we all shared. And he just, um, he, he wasn't happy about it. And the water flowing into his business was, um, was just damaging the building. And it was just, it was a problem for him. And I said, look, you know, I, I, we need this fixed. We all need this fixed, all of us that were on that alley. Um, and I think it was about a $25,000 his portion fix. And I said, if I put up the money, I would like a, a, a right of first refusal on your property should you ever decide to sell it. And, um, and that turned out to be the way that we eventually got that piece of property was that, um, you know, it, it had already gotten out. Um, he had come into the paper and, and started saying that, you know, he – he didn't want to move. He didn't want to do this, that, and the other, but that we own most of the rest of the block and that he was being forced to move, which wasn't true, obviously. Um, and, um, and then he, um, one day he walks into my office and he says, look what I got. I got an offer from somebody to, to buy my piece of property. And I said, good for you. Let me see the offer. And, um, and we took the offer and matched it and and that was the end of that. You know, so. <laughs> you make things so simple. I, I, I kind of, I want to, Take your personality and just do that with all my deals. That's awesome. Well, but but there was nothing there was nothing bad about that. But, you know, we had um, the, the publicity. Obviously, wasn't fun. You know, I really did not enjoy being um, um, seen as somebody who was um, who, who was not uh, being fair. You know, all of the tenants that I had um, later in the development of that block or, or acquisition of that block. They all signed leases where they understood that, uh, you know, that there was development opportunity down the road. And should they be um, um, asked to terminate the lease, there was you know, large buyouts. We had um, we had fun relationships. I shoot one of the one of the guys we uh, who used to be in that block is a current partner of mine in another real estate deal. I mean, you know, we, we just we've really looked at this as what's best and it's not just what's best for me but it's what's best overall this is a community that that i care a great deal about i live in this community we have um, um, we've raised a family in this community we have been um, uh, i think you know very uh, charitable in this community giving back to this community so um i don't want to mess things over i, I want to drive by and be as proud as punch that 
you know, this is a this is one of the nicest developments that we could have ever put there. So it's pretty exciting. That's pretty incredible. So another one of those developments is uh, what people would know today as City Center. Um, and so we wanted to talk about that a little bit and that whole block. Um, what is your capacity in all of that? Um, and how's what's some backstory um, on that building? Well, so City Center um, is where Woolworth used to be. And um, as we put that block together, and I've had these conversations with uh, uh, Dudley, originally Don and Dudley and Woodford, um, you know, we start coming up with, with ideas of how to do it. They are um, um, experienced developers. I think of myself as more of a real estate investor. And, um, and I learned a little bit from them. I didn't learn a lot, but I learned a little bit watching this process. Um, I learned, you know, timing. I learned, uh, you know, the, the economic flow. Um, I've always been interested in the capital markets. I see um, real estate as uh, an imperfect uh, uh, market, um, and it doesn't really work exactly the way I'd like it to do all the time. But, um, you know, expecting um, um, the community to come up with a voice to describe how you should be spending your private dollars was something that I'd never run up against, just never seen that. Um, it wasn't that it didn't happen, it didn't happen in other places to other people, it's just I'd never firsthand experience with it. I think what was the craziest thing somebody told you you should do with the city center? <laughs> <laughs> well, the polo field was probably better. <laughs> yeah, and I, I looked at Dudley the minute he decided, to, and he was the partner in it, and the minute he decided, he goes, well, you know, right now we're just going to put some sod down and, and put up a fence, and the equestrian games are coming to town. We're going to put a polo field there. And I go, no, 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 no. I said, I said, if we do that, no one's ever going to want us to draw a, a building permit to do anything else. This is going to be a city park then from that point on. And I said, and I don't think it's going to be a – economically viable for those of us that own it to make it into a city park. So um, uh, we did it. People loved it. Um, we had uh, had someone want to get married there. Um, uh, it, it's just, it, it was fun, but it was a place card holder. And it was, it was, it was to beautify things. And while we were um, showing Lexington to the world during the world equestrian games, um, I don't know. You know, it it, 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 it it was such a story. I, in fact, I've asked Dudley to uh, to write a book on it. I mean, it was funny. I, I learned I learned a couple great things. He um he taught me one that I've I've always had patience, and I've always thought that I am I'm pretty good with people, and I don't um you know I, I like I said I I build trust. I don't really have problems. I try not to get angry or disappointed in people, but I also um. I'm I'm not one to hold a grudge, but I just find that there's just no need for me to get myself um, involved with working with people who don't want to work with me. And um, and he taught me. He said, Joe. He said, Let me tell you. He said, Whenever you see an obstacle, he said, um, you, you just got to remember that um, that person who's presenting that obstacle may be coming at it from different reasons. There could be different things that are happening. He said, But when it comes time to celebrate, they'll want to celebrate. They'll be the one there, you know, who raising a toast and doing whatever. And turning the other cheek, I guess, is the way I view that, has been really important for me. He he um, he does it as well as anyone I've ever seen. I, I, I'd look at Woodford from time to time, and I go, "Does he not hear this stuff?" And he says, "No, he's just, that's just his personality." So so I was I was fortunate that he was in the process and and kind of keeping a lot of it tamped down for us. I think he, you know, taught me that lesson, anyways. 
fun. I bet there are a ton of lessons in, in this capacity of real estate, especially when you're in that same neighborhood um, for a long time. Speak speak to that a little bit, if you would. What kind of drew you to that part of town? Obviously, downtown is where you've spent a lot of your time. You you may have some other properties outside of downtown, but kind of what, what drew you down there? Well, my family <clears throat> um, obviously had been on that block my uh, father was born at 225 West High Street, which is uh, the backside of what is now the truest parking lot, and um, faced the church, uh, First Methodist, I think it is there. And, um, and you know, we just used to always come downtown. You know, I, I, um, I can remember my first job was at Kent's Menswear, straightening men's shirts. Um, you know, like a, a, just kind of a, I was in um, maybe middle school, it might have been six, I don't know what I was, but I was, I was a young guy and I had to spend an hour or two downtown and um, I'd go in there and straighten these shirts and they'd, you know, pay me pennies literally to straighten shirts and it was kind of fun. But I walked this town when uh, we used to have to get dressed to be downtown. Nobody showed up in um, in blue jeans. You know, you, you just, you presented yourself and we had a lot of people downtown. They were on uh, the sidewalks, had three or four people wide going all day long and it was fun. Um, and I got to know the city a little bit. Um, I was comfortable here. It wasn't, um, it, it was manageable. If I didn't, if I didn't know the business, uh, I might know somebody who knew the business. Um, if I didn't know the owner, I might know somebody who knew the owner. So the research in the seventies and eighties and early nineties, um, was institutional knowledge. I mean, that was really kind of one of the ways that you kind of figured out, does this make any sense? I, my father, who unfortunately um, uh, is no longer living, um, I can remember he and I going to lunch one day, and while we're going to lunch, there's an auction at, I think it's 351 West Short. Um, it was uh, an old hardware store next to the parking lot there. And, um, and uh, Jim Riley is the auctioneer, and we're walking down the street, and he's, uh, he calls us out by name. And he says, Harry, he says, um, uh, you and Joe want to bid on this. And we're just walking to lunch. And Dad says, uh, no, I really hadn't taken a look. And he goes, well, hold on a second. He says, walk it through there and take a look at it. And, uh, and he stops the auction. And we walk through this old building. And it had a dirt floor in the back and, and uh, came out. And he says, what do you think? And Dad says, where are you? And I think he said $65,000. He goes, well, I'll give 66 for it like that. And boom, next thing you know, we're, we bought this piece of property. <laughs> and we just, I mean, we literally walked out to, um, to lunch. Expensive and, lunch. <laughs> expensive lunch. I think, you know, five years later, we might have uh, gotten close to, um, to, to selling it for a $40,000, $50,000 profit. But uh, I think we had, oh, I know what it was. We put, um, put a card shop in there, which turned out to be... Um, um, Ann Higgins, who's, um, whose family owned K.R. Higgins, and, um, and they wound up buying the building from us. So it was like, you know, the stuff works. It's, and that's one of the nice things about um, not only Lexington, but just real estate in general, is that it, if you have that ability to wait and can um, and be fortunate, um, it'll either come around or you'll figure out another use for it or, you know, something kind of comes to you, but you just have to you have to be engaged. If you're not engaged, then you're sitting on the sidelines always going, oh, I wish I'd done that, or I wish I'd done that. So you know, if you can ever get to the point where you can just get in, I think that the uh, the process seems to work pretty well. Pretty incredible. 
maybe I'll go to lunch today and see what I can drum yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always got to stay away from those auctioneers now. <laughs> yeah. No, I've heard that the best piece of advice when going to an auction is keep your hands in your pocket. That's probably true. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, so today, Joe Rosenberg, um, what, what exactly are you doing today? And if you were interested in investing in real estate, uh, of 2023 what do you think that you'd be interested in so so we sold our retail business to uh, jim trantafilu who had been working with us for probably 20 years prior to that and he's a nice young man um, who has decided not not because it was written that he had to do it but he's decided to keep the name going he's still um, located at uh, 163 east main street suite 100 and um, I have my office in the back of there, as I've had for years. Um, he, he and I get along well. Um, he asks me to cover for him when he's not in town. And, um, and I enjoy the retail business. That's obviously where I got my start, and I learned a lot of great things there that I think are, are life lessons that actually I think have helped me and, and more than just real estate or more, more than retail. It's helped me in real estate, helped a lot of things. But um, the things that interest me today are a little bit different than what would have interested in me um, 30 years ago. I'm probably, um, I'm a big partner guy. I always like partners. I've always thought that it's better to have a piece of something than all of a bad deal. And, um, and I don't really like to do bad deals. So um, partnerships never, never scared me. I'm, I think of myself as a generalist rather than a specialist. So I want other people that know a lot about what they're doing to be my partners and um, and from an operation side, that uh, that works well with my semi-retirement. If I'm uh, now 69 years old, how do I how do I see going forward? Um, the question of, of how what do I do real estate wise, and how would I invest today, is a little bit different because of age and stage than what I would recommend people to do. Um, I think that when you're starting out, um, it's important that you pick projects that will. Um, allow you to sleep at night and not give you so much heartburn, you know, that just get you crazy. Um, I usually tell my, my friends who are serious about it, I say, look, if you can start with some duplexes, fourplexes, anything that will allow you to kind of get going without costing you a fortune, um, I think that that kind of makes sense. The, the uh, uh, rents are um, constant. You can push them. And more importantly, if you have a vacancy, you probably aren't going to miss a meal. Um, uh, whereas as soon as you take it up a notch and you start having tenants that are paying you tens of thousands of dollars a month, those vacancies can cause a little heartburn. You know, it's just, that, that, that's kind of, you need to have, um, enough numbers to make it make sense to, to go after that. You have to have a balance sheet that allows you to go after it. Most people that I know starting out don't have those, those things. They just, you know, they're, they're kind of beginning, so to speak. Um, the um, the mission today is literally try to deploy capital with um, you know get a get a good yield without too much risk, and I do that a couple of different ways. I am um, I'm a private equity guy now today. Um, I, I really do see that that works well for my life. I try to pick uh, good managers. I've had great partners. Um, if I can find um, uh, an industry or a sector that I think is is particularly interesting, um, and by that I mean not getting slaughtered, 
then that's where <laughs> I want to be. The The problem with um, with real estate is that because it's a long-term place, sometimes I'm in things that I've, you know, if I had the high, I had the foresight six years ago, I wouldn't have been. Um, so I don't have a lot of retail today. Um, I, we say grace over very few actual um, uh, 100% ownership in properties. We have um, a lot of interest in, or you know, a fair amount of interest in in pieces that um, are running all the way from um, industrial to um, to multifamily. Um, to a little bit of retail, we at restaurants were always good for us. We've got one partnership that um, that they always wanted to do uh, build a suits, and and that was always fun. I liked it. It was great as long as um, you could find them, and um, and I think as you said, Weston, you know, you, you can get somebody who who points you in a direction and, and go find a site and let's go build one um, or buy one or do whatever. Um, those are always fun, but they don't happen as quickly as you want them to all the time. But those relationships can sometimes turn and the next thing you know, that person's in charge of something else and they pick up the phone and you get going. So it's, it is a long process uh, for the most part, but I encourage everyone to do it. I think that, I think that people who get involved with it rarely are disappointed. They don't necessarily um, have the success that they set out to have immediately, but I think overall it it kind of works out. I, mean, I can remember the first time I had a 20 year mortgage payout. And, um, and I mean, I was like ready to, to celebrate and buy drinks <laughs> for the, the, the whole place. I said, that was just, that, that was cool. It's like, I'm going, wow, you know, this works. I mean, it, it's just, it's just fun. And, uh, and when that happens, that's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, I, I, I tell people, you really do need to, um, to look at this as, um, is where you can fit in. Uh, it is not a, a plug and play that it works for everyone, but if you've got an interest in it, it's, it's a great industry to be involved with. That's incredible. So, um, you know, as it relates to that industry and as it relates to Lexington, what, what do you see in Lexington right now when you drive around the city that you're most excited for moving forward? Huh. Um, well, you know, Lexington and I, and I was, on the chamber for a number of years. Um, when I grew up, it was 60,000 people. And today, you know, because we're 300 and some odd thousand. And it is having um, little growth issues, as most places are. And I think that's good. You know, I think that it's always good to kind of challenge ourselves. You know, we have some uniqueness here that uh, uh, we certainly want to keep in check and we don't want to go, you know, running off horse farms and, uh, used to be tobacco now it's bourbon or whatever is going to be the, the secondary causes or whatever things that people think of Lexington for. Um, how we do it and how we streamline that process has always been interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm not one that wants to get in and fight city hall or, or, um, you know, upset the apple cart. I think that we need to um, always have our, our welcome sign out and we need to encourage people to come here I've been involved with um, out-of-state developers who have come to this town and found it very uh, uh, challenging or frustrating that they haven't always gotten the answers that they want as quick as they want or or that um, they've had meetings set up that, uh, you know, across multiple departments or areas that they thought could have been um, uh, pulled together in an easier manner or consolidated into one. Um, 
those are not my frustrations. Those are kind of things that I hear from other people. I take them to heart because I am a Lexingtonian and I really don't want this, this city to ever be seen as less. I also think that the flip side to it is it kind of protects those of us in Lexington. We don't have as many out-of-state developers running into town trying to do a deal here, and it kind of leaves more for us. Um, but I, I don't really think that we should ever do that as a game plan. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not suggesting that we, we send out the message that we don't have a business-friendly environment. I am... Um, I think that there's, I think there's opportunity for us. You know, I, I am real concerned about uh, the retail sector. Um, I've always been concerned as a downtown person that we don't have enough retail down here. I think uh, losing Staples to me personally was just a, a, a nail in the coffin. It was just, it, it, I couldn't imagine that we wouldn't do everything we could at that time to get a large retailer, particularly an office supply house into downtown Lexington. I mean, there was just no reason not to do that. Um, but, you know, we're, we have to realize we're living in a new economy and that, you know, there, there are things that are not retail-ish that, um, that we can make work here and we're going to have to figure that out. When, when we look at the, um, the proximity that Lexington has to, you know, the rest of the country and, and start thinking about how we can service that, um, all, all kinds of fun things come to mind when we think about the the housing issue here, the the multi housing, the single family ha- houses. You know, this is this is stuff that the the home builders, the realtors, and um, developers are all trying to 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 figure out how we can make it more affordable, how we can um, can have uh, uh, consistency and prices that'll sustain itself, and and. And then, you know, what kind of rents we can get uh, if we're renting this, this this product out. That's not really a big uh, focus of mine. I am uh, I have family members that are involved in that side of life, and um, and I'm always you know happy to chat with them about it. But I don't really. It's not. I was never really passionate about um, about that that side of it. Um, I'm kind of I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of now thinking. That if we can, if we can see Lexington as something a little bit larger than that quaint little horse town, um, it's going to be better for all of us. And it, believe me, I don't like sitting in traffic, and I don't like having to fight for a, a parking spot or do anything any more than anyone else. So, growth presents its issues, um, but it also gives us more opportunity to find. Um, I don't know, interesting places to eat or, you know, whatever. So it's, it, it, it's a checks and balance and, and yin and yang and it kind of works. Absolutely. Yeah. We have that conversation a lot for sure. And I think we're, I think we're on a similar page. Um, so as an outro, we're starting this. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. There's about a million people that you could name for this, but if you had to pick a few guests that you'd like to hear from on Develop X, um, Name a couple names and we'll try to get them. Um, well, first, I think any of the mayors, uh, past mayors or current mayors, I, I, I think your list is probably light on that. I don't know that you've had a lot of mayors show up and, and chat with you, but I think that would be a good a good get. Um, to that point, I'd also try the, the Kevin Atkins of the world. And um, um, I, I think someone like uh, Brett Collar, who is a Lexingtonian, even if he claims Cincinnati now, um, between his investments in the city and uh, and just his you know love of Lexington, I think that he, he's got a worldview that might be a little different than some, and it'd be good to hear from him. 
Um, you know, I um, shoot. I'd I'd recommend my wife. She's uh, she's Ricky's um, our head uh, philanthropist in the family, and uh, she heads up our our charitable foundation. And I think that she could she could chat about all the great things that need to be done in this city too. So, but yeah. this is probably more real estate oriented. Um, I, we're just. I don't know. I don't know what other names you want, but um, <laughs> give, give me a little longer to think about it, and I'll help you with that list. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. We're we're always just looking for new perspectives on the show, but your perspective has been awesome, Joe. We really really appreciate you coming on um, and all that you've done for the city of Lexington. Well, thank you all for having me. It was, it was kind of a, a fun morning. <laughs> well, thank you. We, I know you you shied away from being called a visionary earlier, but I see the the visionary in you how you're, you're making the heartbeat of lexington a little bit better thank you thank you for the kind words develop lex is a part of the middle tech family of brands this episode is edited by jacob spencer emily mccarthy creates our social content that serves you daily 